So today we come to an incredibly important passage of Scripture. But then I always put in my notes, well, aren't they all? Of course they are. It's a stupid thing to say. I'll scratch that out of my notes where I put it on the website. But we come to a very important part of Scripture because what happens is we find Paul giving instruction to a particular group of elders. And and here's, here's, here's some lenses. I want you to put these lenses on. Even if you don't, this is where I'm thankful God uh, allowed me to have very poor eyesight because I could have the illustration of very dirty, dirty glasses. Lenses. These are, this, is, this is a lens we have to see this passage through. So you ready for this? Because I'm going to say it twice. God's plan and purpose is to display his love and care for his people through the love and care that comes through godly elders. So God's love for us doesn't stop at the cross. All right, God loved me. He sent his son to die for me. I love him. I trust him. Okay, that's the end. No. The entire Christian life as God has purposed it in his word is an expression of his love and the care of godly elders who have been given charge over the soul of God's children for the care of their soul. That's part of God's love. I want you to hear that because we're going to talk a lot about the, what's expected of elders, what Paul says is imperative for elders to do. And for those who aren't elders, for those who don't aspire to be elders, you could very easily say, well, what do I do with that? This doesn't apply to me. Hear these things as an expression of God's love for you. We must have those lenses on. In this passage, we find perhaps the most full instruction on eldership in the New Testament. Most people go to 1 Timothy 3. I usually go here for a myriad of reasons, not one to the exclusion of the other. And part of this instruction, brothers and sisters, applies to all Christians, not just elders, though it is incumbent that elders or aspiring elders must pay particular attention to these instructions. And these instructions come in two ways. The first thing is Paul instructs through his own example. We touched on that last week in our message. Paul's example. And then he also gives instruction through clear direction. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to do something a little bit different, a little bit different. No, not preach short. No, that's not an option. But what I'm going to do is we're actually going to incorporate the use of some slides. Did I just get a whistle? Was that what that was? Wow, that is impressive. Because what's going to happen in this passage is we're going to end up, because this is instruction to the elders in Ephesus, to the elders more broadly in that time, to the elders throughout the course of time till Christ comes, and to Christ's children, his followers, it's going to come in the form of a list. And I know lists, sometimes it can get lost so easily. So I just want to have it before you as we go through it. Especially if you're a note taker, you may find it to be profitable. But we are on uncharted, uncharted territory here. So where are we in the story? Let's start there. So if you remember at the end of Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 16, last week's message, 
Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He bypasses Ephesus and stops in Miletus, which is a prosperous, multi-port city about 30 miles south of Ephesus. And he calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus to come. What about this text itself? Great question. Glad you asked. So the first thing we want to note is that this is the last of Paul's, we call them speeches, three large recorded speeches in the book of Acts. First one to the Jews, second one to the Gentiles at Mars Hill, and this is the first one that is made particularly to Christians. So because, why is that important? Because a lot of these themes you're going to hear in this passage that Paul is bringing out, you can find being traced throughout Paul's letters. I'm going to bring some of them to light, but not all of them. Second thing to note is that this is, in many ways, a farewell address. So in your afternoon study, following your afternoon nap, I would encourage you to look at other examples of farewell speeches, such as Jacob's legacy speech to his son in Genesis 49, Joshua's farewell address to the troops in Israel in Joshua 23, 24, Samuel's farewell address to the nation for Samuel 12. Even Christ in Luke 22 with the Lord's Supper. Um, John 13 through 17. These are all words given with the thought of impending departure. How about the outline? How about the outline? It's in your bulletin, three parts. Very simple. Paul's example, Paul's directions, and the bonds of love. I feel like I should sing that, but I'm not going to. So check this out. You ready? Whoa, yeah. So there's your first point. Paul's example. Paul's example. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Christ, God comes, takes on human flesh, for a myriad of reasons, right? Glorious salvation, atonement. But also, it gives us an idea of a model for how God wants us to live our lives in light of the glory of God. And Paul is an example of that. So in what ways does Paul bring forth his, his example? We see at, in verse 18, he says, hey, you know that I lived among you and this is what you saw. This is what you saw. So what, what did they see that they needed to be reminded of because this was really important for them to know and have this as an example as they sought to elder Christ's flock in Ephesus. The first thing we note is that Paul saw himself as a servant Verse 19, serving the Lord. He saw his life as one of serving the Lord. And by extension, in serving the Lord, serving the Lord's people. That is a wonderful imitation of Christ. The Christ who says things like, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Or let the greatest among you be your servants. The elders 
And all Christians need to follow his example of seeing himself as a servant. And that's really hard. Because we live in America. And the goal of America, how do you know that you made it in America? You know you made it in America when you get into positions where people can serve you. And there's something inside of us that desires that. And so being a servant is seen as countercultural. A church full of servants is the type of church, to use earlier Acts language, that turns the world upside down. And Paul, as he's given these final words to the, to the church in Ephesus, the elders in Ephesus, he's saying, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. I'm not the high and exalted apostle Paul. The second thing we note, the second thing we note is Paul displayed humility. Humility. He says he was serving the Lord with all humility. God is great. All that I am is a mere man serving a great God who called me to do his work. We see imitation of Christ in that Philippians chapter 2. The Christ, have this mind in you, and it goes on to talk about the Christ who took on the form of a man becoming a servant. Christ displayed humility. And Paul saying, it's imperative that you remember my example, that I see myself as a servant and that I serve out of humility. I don't think I'm great. I mean, how many, how many podcasts do you think Paul had back in the day? Probably had dozens of them. You didn't know that, did you? Write that down. He was probably held in incredible esteem amongst the churches. Hated by the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, certainly. But amongst the Christians, he was held in very high esteem. They got letters from the guy. And yet he says, I am merely, merely a servant who seeks to humbly serve my Lord. So not only is he a servant who serves from humility, he serves tearfully, tearfully, Paul cared deeply for those whom God had given to him to serve. To the point where there was such an emotion, an emotional connection with those people that he often often wept for them. We see this scattered throughout Paul's letters. Romans chapter 9, verse 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 2 Corinthians 2, 4, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears to let you know the abundant love I have for you. Philippians 3, 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul, Paul encountered, and he mentions it here. He mentions the fact that I'm going through many trials. There's plots of the Jews that are coming upon me. I've been persecuted, but my chief concern is you because I love you. 
The intensity of Paul's desire to protect Christ's sheep manifested itself in tears. Not a clinical detachment, not a, not a, 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 a warm doctrinal head and a cold heart, just the opposite. Now, don't think that this, this, this love and this compassion turned Paul into someone who was wishy-washy. Don't think that he was someone who just became milk toast. Actually, Paul is a wonderful model of our Christ because he melded compassion and love and empathy with truth. Seamlessly. Seamlessly. Paul says in, in, in verse 20 that how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Anything that was profitable. It doesn't matter if, if I was saying it, proclaiming it to a crowd. Repent and believe. Or if I was going house to house, maybe having a belly full of food, sitting around. Paul says, I never, no matter what, the circumstance was I never shirked back from telling the truth. Paul, as an expression of his love, as an expression of his love, said what needed to be said. He said what needed to be said, and that's worthy of imitation. He was bold in proclaiming the truth. Another thing about Paul is he kept the main thing, the main thing. Verse 21, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus, repent and believe, was present in all of his teachings in some way, in all environments. He's the one who says, I've determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Does that mean he was a one-trick pony? Of course not. What it meant is he knew that the good news, that God would enter the creation to live, die, and be resurrected, to bring sinners back to their God, that had implications in every life circumstance. And somehow the answer was always the gospel. He kept the main thing the main thing. So, so remember, this is instruction to us and, and this is instruction to the elders in Ephesus through his example. He kept the main thing the main thing. Now, we know that we have an enemy. And the enemy, what he likes to do is he likes to get our eye off the ball. He likes to convince us of other things that are main things, supposedly. And while we're arguing about these things that aren't the main thing, oftentimes we take our eyes off the main thing. And we lose our gospel effectiveness. Paul kept his eyes on the ball. Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. The other thing Paul did is Paul treasured Christ and the gospel above all things, above all things, even above his own life. I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Verse 24, if only I can finish this course that Christ gave me. Father, keep me faithful and just let me go on to my reward. 
Philippians 3.8. So again, you, you find, because this is, this, is spoken to, this is spoken to men who are Christ followers, there are streams of this instruction throughout all of Paul's letters. Philippians 3.8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. All things. So what does he do? Does he sit in his room and say, oh, I wish I had that? Those are junk. Because in losing those things, I got more Christ. And that's better than that. He just had this entrenched view of the glory of Christ and the gospel that transformed him and made him see his life of far less value. Paul treasured Christ and the gospel above all things. Look what he says in verse 26. Look what he says in verse 26. Well, will start in verse 25. He says, look at I'm, I'm leaving. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. But here's my assurance. He says, he says that I am innocent of the blood of all. Innocent of the blood of all. Students of Scripture will, ex- will immediately be thinking of the word watchman from Ezekiel 33, where it is written, but if the watchman sees the sword coming, so sees danger coming, and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Paul knew there was a judgment coming. Paul knew that there was enemies of God's people at the gates, and God's people needed to be warned. And the last thing from Paul's instruction that we'll pull from this very simply is this, that, that Paul, uh-oh, it may not have made it onto the screen. That's okay. Is that Paul, look at verse 27, Paul taught the entirety of, the entirety of God's revelation. Verse 27 says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, even the really hard things, even the really unpopular things. The the Ephesian elders were operating in a context where certain things written in God's counsel was going to be highly offensive and Paul's instruction is to follow, follow my imitation no matter what the culture said. I taught the whole counsel of God. The culture, the culture cannot dictate what you teach. God dictates what you teach. And God desires for the whole story, the entire counsel of his revelation to be proclaimed. So there's some things so, so what were the Ephesian elders supposed to do with this? They were supposed to learn from Paul's example, and they were supposed to imitate Paul's example. They were supposed to imitate Paul's example. Number two, Paul's direction. So Paul gives instruction through his life and, a, and, and a, an example of his life. Now Paul gives instruction to the Ephesian elders through clear direction, clear direction, beginning in verse 28. The first thing he says is, pay 
careful attention to yourself. Pay careful attention to yourself. Is it incumbent upon those who are called to serve in leadership and the eldership of a church that they do so from holiness, from righteousness, from a purity of love for God and others? And that's always in danger of being toppled. What is the easiest way, well, I shouldn't say this, I, uh, that's, that might be an overstatement, but what is one of the quickest ways to get a great gospel work, a church, to just be turned upside down in the wrong way and cause chaos within it? Cause the pastor to fall. Cause the elder to, elder to fall. That can make shipwreck of people's faith. So therefore, if we have an enemy, and we have an enemy, no ifs, we have an enemy, that's one of the goals of the enemy. So therefore, we are to be on guard, all of us, but certainly elders and elders in Ephesus. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers, which feeds perfectly into the second instruction, pay careful attention to the flock. And that idea of careful attention is to have something before you that never leaves your sight. This is risky. If you know, if you know my, 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 yeah, you know, okay. Um, is to have something before your sight and never lose sight of it. Hey, 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 no, 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 no. Is to constantly keep an eye on it. Because I know that if I take my eye on it, there could be somebody who snatches it. Or somebody who puts something in here, whatever it might be. So the thought is, is guarding, pay careful attention, not just to yourselves, but to the flock, to the flock. And listen to the way, listen to this language. If, if you needed any gravity, if you needed any weight to be on the shoulders of the elders, listen to the way the flock is described. This flock is described as the, the Holy Spirit has made them overseers of the flock to care for the church of God, which is owned. And how did that ownership come in? By the blood, purchased by the blood of Christ. So Paul is saying to the elders, look at, you're given care over this flock, but they're not yours. And so some people, now we, we conjure up the, the image of true shepherd and hirelings from Jesus' teaching, but I won't go there. They are not yours, but that doesn't mean you value them less. You ever heard the expression, drive it like a rental car? I've never done that. But the thought behind that is, is you value it less if it's not yours. And what Paul's saying here is, these folks ultimately are not yours but do you know why you should value them even more? It's because they've been purchased with the blood of Christ. That's why 
That's why you guard, you guard this precious flock because they have been purchased with the most precious of commodities, the blood of the Son of God. Stop there. Just ponder, ponder what that means for you. Can you sense that? Just, just stop and think about that. You ever worried that you're not valued? You ever, you ever feel hopeless or set aside by God? Nothing could be further from the truth. Why? Because God spent the most precious commodity the universe has ever known, the blood of his son, to purchase you. You are his. I got a goosebump. That's where we come back to. You come back to verses like this when we're struggling. And we ask God to strengthen us in that truth. So we've got this precious commodity. And here's the issue. Verse 29, fierce wolves are going to come in. And they're not going to spare the flock. And some of them are going to come from even within the flock. Verse 30. And they're going to speak twisted things. And they're going to seek to draw the disciples away after them. We know from Paul's letter to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 3, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Why should Timothy remain in Ephesus? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. It's happening. It's happening. Hmm. So be careful, pay careful attention to yourself, pay careful attention to the flock. Verse 31, be alert, be alert. Keep your eyes open, be expectant. That word admonish that ESV or ESV translates as admonish could be warn. There is a warning. Most other translations go that direction. Follow Paul's example by warning day and night with tears. Why? Because you love this flock. Why? Because they've been given to you by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they've been purchased with the blood of Christ. And as an expression of his love for them, he's given them you. That's heavy. That's really heavy. Follow Paul's example by warning day and night with tears, not just of things that are going to come in, but of lives that will stray from the gospel in Christ, from people who get, from people who get swallowed up by worldliness. There are so many dangers for the flock, even beyond false teaching, though there is that that the shepherds of the flock are supposed to be constantly on, aware of and on alert for teaching the whole counsel of God. It's fascinating too where Paul goes here at the end. He goes a little bit of personal testimony. So this is kind of a harmony here in, in verses 33 through 35. Um, it's interesting. He says in verse 32, now I'm, gonna, I'm commending you to God and to the word of his grace because that's going to that's gonna build you up and that's going to give you an inheritance amongst the sanctified. And look where he goes next. Isn't this fascinating? 
This is one of those Paul curveballs. I'm sitting, I'm sitting dead fastball, right? I'm looking for it. I'm going to jack this thing. And he throws a curveball like this. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul said, labor hard from a pure motive in a way that doesn't burden the body. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. So I didn't put that burden on bodies. I didn't, I didn't use it strictly for me. Not only did I not burden, not only did I not burden the body, I used the, the work I did, which didn't burden the body, I actually used that to bless others out of love for them because they're precious in God's sight and in my sight as a result. Doing this is one way that the, following Paul's example is one way that they would remain above reproach is the motive from which they led Christ's church. Point three, and this is a much shorter one, a much shorter one, the bonds of love. I just want you to read with me verses 36 through 38 again, and I just want you to sense Paul is a, you read, it's, it's incredible. Why Paul is such an example and why he imitates Christ, and I've already alluded to this, he says some really hard and direct things. And the people absolutely love him. Incredible. People don't say, oh, yeah, here comes the despot. He's going to chew us out again. No, because he did it. He, the people knew, he knew that he cared for them. And actually, we'd go a step further and say it was actually that caring for them. So hear this, Christian, as you're seeking to witness to, to family members, to neighbors, to coworkers, the care they displayed, so the care Paul displayed to these people gave him a platform of credibility to say some really hard things. So much so that after hearing some hard things throughout letters and throughout visits, they're like, we love this guy. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. We're going to see similar, though maybe not as intense, of departure scenes in Acts 21 when he leaves Tyre and certainly in Caesarea, even though he didn't spend the same length of time with them as he did in Ephesus. I read, I read, 2 Timothy 2, 4 earlier, I just think it, it bears, because I just, just to hear the heart of Paul, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. So think about that. I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Paul's telling this, this, this eldership in Ephesus that their, 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 their leadership, where you're going to have to say some things. There's going to be moments that are going to be really hard. There's going to be moments where people aren't going to want to follow you. 
There's going to be moments where you have to protect the flock and chase, chase off heretics. There's going to be moments where you might have to actually discipline a member of the covenant community. But you always have to do that from the bonds and expression of love. We don't set all of those things against love. They're actually an expression of love. An expression of love. Paul was more than an apostle. More than a minister. More than a teacher. More than a disciple. He built a bond of love with all to whom he ministered while he delivered to them precise teaching about the nature of the Christ and his kingdom. Oh, and this ending here reflects the level of that caring as they know, as they know they're not going to see him again and they're heartbroken. What do we take away from this message? What do we take away from this message? A couple things. Number one is this. We've said that Paul, what he's doing is Paul is is imitating Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. One of the things we want to do, brothers and sisters, is we want to connect the imitation of Christ with the expression of love. How do you love people? Second great commandment, right? Second greatest commandment. How do we love people? A lot of particular ways, but the primary way is that we imitate Christ for them. Or we could say it this way, and you could fill in the blank as you wish. What my wife needs most from me is to see Christ in me and through me. What my children need most from me is to see Christ in me and through me. What my neighbor, what my employer, what people who vote a different party on election day. Good. Guys are growing. What they need to see most from me is Christ as an expression of love for them. So connect the imitation of Christ with the expression of love. Second thing, I'm going to put a lot of stuff on the, on the screen here for one slide. So if this blows your mind, it's okay. We have people come and clean the auditorium up when we're finished. Don't worry about it. Let it happen. I'm going to put a slide up there, and it's going to kind of contain the entirety of all of the instruction Paul gives. And then what I want to do after we look at that is I want to figure out, I want to figure out what's our connection point to all this teaching. Nope, wrong, wrong screen. Find your point of connection with the list of Paul's examples and directions. Boom. This is this is all of this is all of the instruction that Paul gives. I might have missed one or two, but I, I had screen space issues. Caught me a break. So whether it's through whether it's through example or whether it was through clear instruction, 
We know some of this, some of this, especially as we get on the, uh, on the left side of the screen, is applicable to all. Some of it is applicable because it's given directly to the elders of Ephesus. So the first point we have to, to make is, is, is how can I... Where's Nick Connor? Nick, what is the name of that book we're reading? I'm reading it, and I don't know the name of it. It's uh, for our staff meeting. Organic. Organic Outreach. Thank you. And one of the... We were discussing, I think it was the one degree principle. So it is, look at, look at some of these things. Hopefully you've noted them. And as you're praying to the Lord, you're asking, Lord, how can I, how can I uh, in my humility, in my, in my treasuring of Christ, in my willingness to, to speak the whole counsel of people, just, just, just click me up in this one degree so I could, I could, my oven can be set to 225 tomorrow and it's 224 today, one degree. So find your point of resonance here with this list. For elders and aspiring elders, this is the calling. I'll go back because I could do that. I've got this on my phone. This is the calling. This is the calling. Heavy, weighty. And yet if you're called by God... Sustained by grace. I, I love when Paul whenever, whenever I, uh, not, not the Apostle Paul, although the Apostle Paul Rupel sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Um, whenever I talk about the weightiness, I, Paul has often chimed in, yeah, it's weighty, but you're sustained by God's grace as you carry out that weightiness. So for elders and aspiring elders, this is the calling. This is the calling. Now, for the next group, that would be those that are in the covenant of church membership. In the covenant of church membership, we would say, pray for your elders. So we need it. <laughs> Encourage your elders and follow your elders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Listen to this. This is, this is, I keep using the word heavy because that, that was going to be the title of this message is heavy. <sighs> Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. As those who will give an account. So towards that end, pray and encourage and and recognize that the elders are given as an expression of God's love for your good. So we have, we have our aspiring elders and current elders. This is the calling. For those in the covenant of membership, pray, encourage, and follow. And for those that are not covenanted in membership, in membership, do not deprive yourself. Do not deprive yourself. We, we, live in, we live in an age that is decidedly anti-commitment. And I would argue, and not just because I'm a pastor, I have to, I would argue that the church is an 
irreplaceable instrument in God's plan. And what every Christian needs is they need a group of elders who have been given charge and care over their souls. To do so is depriving yourself of the fullness of God's love that he has behind that purpose. And to do so is a perhaps a clear indication that you don't really understand the nature of the spiritual battle that's going on and how much you need that protection. So don't deprive yourself of these things. So find your point of resonance with this passage and whatever else you do with this passage, make sure you see all that is purposed here as an expression of God's love for his people. Pray with me. Father, I, I do pray as we invite the musicians, Lord, I think you might have called them even though I forgot to. Father, as we come here and we even try to consider how much you love us, we have a hard time getting our arms around it because it's so enormous. It is, it is your love for us, Father, is, is so intricate. It is so enveloping. It covers everything that has happened, is happening, and will happen. So, Father, I pray that even now you would show us your glory by just giving us a glimpse at the depth of your love for us found in Christ and in the, the purposing of, of giving elders for the care of Christ's flock, a flock that has been purchased with nothing less than the blood of Christ. So, Father, help us to see those things. And may this transform us. May it, may it stir in the hearts of men and awaken aspirations towards eldership. May it help those who are part of this, this community uh, from a membership perspective, Lord, just to, to become even more zealous in their prayer and encouraging of the elders and for those, Lord, who are not part of this community or any community, Lord, I pray that they would just see the purpose and the display of love found with yoking and the protection found in that yoking, Lord, and they would take steps to come under that care so they don't deprive themselves of all you have for them. So, Father, bless us now as we get ready for the Lord's table. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so now we get, isn't it incredible? You close your eyes, you open your eyes, there's people here. This is fantastic. So now we get to come to a remembrance of the very tangible display of God's love for us. The broken body and the shed blood of Christ. To be joyfully entered into by all who have turned from their sin and trusted that Christ has atoned, he's paid for their sin, trusted that Christ has forgiven their sin, trusted that Christ has brought them back to God, and he is now Father. So for those who are in Christ through faith, come and celebrate. Come and celebrate at the atonement made for your sin out of love. For those not in Christ by faith, I just would ask that you let these elements pass, and don't leave here without talking 
to one of us before you go. We would love to teach you about the forgiveness found in Christ. Mm. Pray with me. Father, we just ask now as we come and we, we take this, this bread and we take this cup, Lord, that we would just be overwhelmed, overwhelmed as we consider your love for us. And Father, this would strengthen us. It would deepen our faith. It would increase our love for you. And as an overflow of that love for you, it would increase our love for others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.